edition of Childhood Ruined. I am Chris Benefield, joined as always by my longtime friend, Michael Mountain. Hello, everybody. How are you feeling this fine Saturday evening? This Saturday evening, I'm feeling pretty well. Had a good day with family. We took our son to the zoo along with his grandparents. So, well, one set of grandparents. So that was fun. He uh, held up pretty well. And then we went food shopping, good times. And then I just, he's asleep. And then I was actually got delayed recording because I was trying to beat Battleship Brigade, which I've been talking about uh, on the last show or two shows ago. And I thought it wouldn't take me that long to beat the final boss. And then a half hour later, I was still playing the game. <laughs> Pretty classic. Pretty classic. And I actually I scored the best the first time I went against the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and as when I spoke to the creator of the game on the other pod, he said that if you keep losing, it's like adaptive difficulty. So the boss gets a little bit easier. Um, so I feel like I kind of cheated in a way to get through him, <laughs> but it's still very satisfying. I so want. It, it wasn't the classic Final Fantasy where like you think you're about to beat the game and then there was like a 45 minute cutscene. Well, that was the other thing I did. The, the credits for this were impressive because there was a few of the little cutscene things. And then I always just – not that I'm reading every person's name in the credits, but I always make a point to watch them. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those games that had been uh, kickstarted. So it had every name of the person who kickstarted the game or, uh, or sure. backed it. So it was just – like they had a song playing during the credits, and it was Kickstarter backers, and it was just music playing and playing and playing and playing. And we were texting about getting ready to start the show, and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'll be there in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I told the story in an earlier episode where my roommate was waiting for me to finish Final Fantasy. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm just at the, I'm at the very end of the game. We can go out to the bar in a bit. And an hour and a half later, I was like, I'm just watching the end of the game. I don't know what to tell you. I can't go. <laughs> You know Brian. He was also well played. He was not happy. Yeah, he took that really well. I'm sure. He's like, I don't understand what's happening. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, Battle Chef Brigade, really fun game. I, I enjoyed it. It's it was a wonderful experience. So I am in the market for getting into something new. So that's exciting. I was going to say, is there replayability? Is there go back and do it with someone else and have a different game or anything like that, or are we just done? No, I think there is – there's a difficult mode. So you go through the same – I wouldn't even call it a campaign, like the same story, but everything's harder and the time limits are more strict and the monsters are harder. So that would be a little bit more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea of adaptive difficulty doesn't exist. It's just everything's challenging. Gotcha. And then they have a da- what I think they call a daily cook-off where – it's kind of the matching and monster hunting, and you have to go up against – I don't know if it's a computer opponent or if you actually link up to somebody else who's playing the game. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I've only done it once. But, yeah, I think I'll keep playing it. I like I like the idea. I like the world that it's set in. I'm excited for them to do more with mm-hmm. with that franchise. I'm hoping they, there's a sequel at some point in the future. The game just came out three months ago, so I don't think they'll be – new content coming out anytime soon but i'm glad i definitely played the game it's it's 
been a nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, what are you up to these days? Today, I am unlocking that always classic challenge of never taking my PJ pants off the entire day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> was had a late night last night, uh, so today has been laid back. Uh, UNC just beat Louisville, so that's always nice. And yeah, I've been playing a little bit of Eternal has, they, they do events, seems like about once a month or every three weeks or so, they'll have like a special event. And this one is the first that's a sealed challenge where you get somebody's sealed deck that they've made up, um, different um, d- game, people working on the game, a lot of uh Former and current Magic players. In fact, it was uh, LSV's deck that I did really well with. Collywood's deck, not so much. Um, but I've been playing that a little bit. And speaking of that, there has been some some big Magic news this week for you know people that listen and, and play the game. I'm sure they know already, but there were some big unbannings in, in Modern. I don't know if we want to talk about that or not. Well, I'm curious how Magic does it because Hearthstone which has obviously a much, much smaller card library, has started to shunt some cards to what they call the Hall of Fame. So they rotate cards out that otherwise would be in the quote-unquote standard uh, pool. And I'm wondering if they'll ever unretire a card and put them back into the set. So Magic does that sometimes? For sure. I mean, they try, I think, to avoid bannings in standard because for Magic, standard is just like cards that have been released in the last roughly depending on where you are in a cycle like the last one to two years and and so cards are constantly cycling in and out of standard to keep that fresh so they try to avoid that because if you ban cards you're usually banning stuff that's really good and are part of the reason that people are cracking packs to try to find those cards (laughs) so it's not a great business model to have have those cards go away while they're in standard it does happen because if nobody is really caring about playing standard um you got to kind of fix that but the unbannings that i'm speaking of are in modern which is kind of one of their larger formats that tries to use more of the cards from the history of magic um and there is a card called jace the mind sculptor you have probably faced it because it's in you know that blue white deck that you sometimes reference well and i've <laughs> seen mine. i've seen a bunch of screenshots and people talking yep. talking about it even though i don't know exactly all the ins and outs of what's why it's such a big deal Right, so Jace was oppressive when it was in standard to the point that there eventually was a ban um, because standard tournaments had basically evolved into mirror matches between the deck that was really good using Jace and then decks specifically designed to try to beat that but then tended to lose to everything else because they were too narrow and so it was just really oppressive and not fun Um, and it was so powerful that it you know, gets played in Legacy, which is kind of the most popular format, trying to use almost all of the cards that are available in Magic. Um, and when they started this modern format, which is kind of seated between Legacy and Standard, um, and it's prob- arguably it's the most popular format out there right now because there's just a lot of different fun decks you can play with, and it's not 
oppressively expensive to to get into it. Um, and so when they started that format, I'm, I don't think Jace was ever legal. I think it was one of the cards they were just right off the bat were like, nope. <laughs> um, and so they have finally decided that the power level has caught up where they could um, experiment with unbanning him as well as another card called Bloodbraid Elf that right around the same time that Jace was used in Standard, um, that had been another really powerful deck that had preceded it um, and in some ways was, was kind of an answer to it when Bloodbraid rotated out and Jace was still in Standard. That's when things got really, really monotonous. Um, and so it's it's been a big deal. I mean, Jace was a rare instance of being like a hundred dollar card um to get in paper and standard when when it was in that which you don't usually see like a usually an expensive standard card is like maybe 20 bucks and so this was for a while there there was because you played four of them in a deck it was like a four hundred dollar ticket required to to play standard um and so uh people really didn't expect him to be back in modern and suddenly there it is and so of course the internet kind of exploded this week when they announced this um and to answer your question about how they handle it you know it's changed and it keeps changing um it used to be that they would announce a few times a year sort of around the time of a set release um, and this time they decided to go ahead and do it right after a pro tour that used modern. Um, the idea being that it gave them the longest time to kind of see how it impacts the format before there's another pro tour using that format, um, which I think both have their, their pros and cons. But um, anyway, it's just it's a big deal and kind of, you know, it's exciting for people that have had these cards for a while and not been able to play them um and of course immediately made jace you know over a hundred dollars again i mean it stayed somewhere in that range but there was a time you could get them for 50 bucks because you just didn't you couldn't play them in much how so. many of them do you have i think i i've sold one um at one point when it was pretty expensive again. So I might only have three. I actually would have to check. That's signs that you may have too many cards is when you're not sure how many of the $100 cards you have or not. <laughs> three for sure, though. So does it make you want to you know, dust off the collection and play a little bit more? Because I know you haven't been able to get out there as much. You know, I don't think that for me personally that impacts things that much. I mean, it's always good when, like, if you know you want to go play – um, that you have that card in your back pocket. That if you want to make that deck, you can do it. But you know, to be truthful, like I haven't played that much modern, even though it's it's really popular. Um, and so it it doesn't make a huge difference to me either way. I mean, for quite a while, even before this period of time where I haven't been playing that much, I was always most excited to play limited to do like drafting or sealed. Um, and then would play a fair amount of standard just because that was kind of what you had to play at Friday Night Magic for years and years. Um, and that's part of why Modern has gotten popular is they opened that up where you could have um, sort of sanctioned Friday Night Magic tournaments and you could play Modern as part of that. So um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, a new store has opened up in our area that a couple friends of mine went to and had mostly positive things to say about. So we'll see if that uh, gets us out there playing a little bit more regularly. I just find the 
the relationship with with games like Magic and to a lesser extent Hearthstone and Overwatch and some of the other stuff, mm-hmm. how the game the developer of the game changes it, and then mm-hmm. that very much affects how you play it. It's just it's interesting. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it existed when we were growing up as much, where you'd buy a game and then it changes at at points in time. Right. And Overwatch is. I think that's just really kind of fascinating because there's people who have perfected certain characters and then every so often they go in and tweak the character's abilities to balance mm-hmm. the game and yep. that all that time and effort you put into mastering a character, suddenly you you can't do the same things anymore. Right. And there's people who literally make a living off of playing that game. It's mm-hmm. it's just interesting. It's I don't have quite more to say to it than that, but I just think... <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's kind of kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's, it is an artifact of when we were kids. There, you know, I guess there was a little bit of like quote unquote professional video game playing, but really not. You know, like they might have a video game tournament for something that was really popular, but it wasn't really something that you very many people could like make a living doing. And now with the advent of streaming and Twitch and, you know, all of these things, like it, it is much more of a thing where, you know, these games can be played at really high competitive levels. And, um, you know, then that creates this weird I mean, that's one of the weird things about magic is like you still have a fairly small amount of people that can actually make a living off, off of playing magic and even then most of them do so because they in addition to playing professionally you know they create content they write articles they stream things like that um but you have a lot of people that aspire to that (laughs) Um, and you very much want to sort of copy those decks and try to play at that level um even when you go to your local game store um and so you have a lot of people with opinions about these things even though it doesn't really affect their lives that much (laughs) uh you know in in typical internet fashion so you know there's been a lot of you know twitter explosions over the last week with these announcements and people having their hot takes about it um and in the end like it doesn't really matter that that much other than like you know like you said it is frustrating i think for for players if you invest a lot of money and say a, a magic deck and then a couple of weeks later they ban the key cards from it because they feel like it's you know become too high of a percent of the metagame and is making people less interested in that format but you know these are the risks that you take and you have to kind of roll with it because nobody really likes to go to tournaments if they're going to play the same deck over against the same deck or just over and over and over it's just not very much fun yeah it definitely gets that way in hearthstone on it seems like everyone just plays the same four or five decks and so when you're trying to level up, it's pretty much you're just kind of playing the same matchups and you're hoping you draw better and certainly can make better decisions along the way. But I think the meta game in Hearthstone at least gets kind of solved in some way. And then it's just everyone mm-hmm. trying to make tweaks and more or less playing the same handful of decks. Right. Which gets, you know, gets boring. I mean, that's one thing that I've enjoyed about eternal is that there's been 
in my opinion, a pretty healthy meta where, you know, you could play a pretty wide variety of things and be successful. I mean, obviously, like I found a deck that was really good and I, you know, found somebody else's deck that was really good and was able to really ride that to a win percent that is not consistent with my usual win percent. Um, And I would say right now they are kind of having an issue of there's a few cards that are kind of dominating things and making it a little bit more stale. So, you know, anytime one of these games is successful like this, you know, it starts to create these kinds of issues where, you know, people care about finding the best decks and tuning them and if they've printed something that's printed is oh, maybe the wrong words we're talking digital games but if they've created something that skews that too much um you do have to take action and you know some people are going to be unhappy about it but at the same time there's always this much larger crowd of people that just play the game sort of casually to enjoy it and if you lose those people you kind of don't have a game anymore so i don't know i just the whole Getting into magic, we've talked about it before. It just seems like such a high bar for entry. And I know you've told me that it's not, and there's different formats to mm-hmm. get into it. But even that one free event we went to, it, right? It just was—I don't know—it seemed a little overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there are a lot of good avenues to start playing Magic and learn it and not have to spend that much money on it. But at the same time, I think the reality is that for most people that play it and play it regularly, it it does become a fairly um, money-intensive hobby, (laughs) you know, uh, to try to keep up with, you know, being able to play Standard or if even if you just want to play modern like the price point is higher on those decks so if you kind of build one per year or so and just play that a lot like you still are you know maybe six seven eight hundred dollars in to you know to get there now granted you can trade you don't have to just shell that out and cash but you know there there are time and money investments in it for sure but there are also great ways to play it with almost none so you know that's one of the beauties of that game is it's kind of all things to all people like however you want to play it there's a there's a way to do that i'm just excited that I'm gonna be playing some D and D next weekend, so I gotta I gotta make up a new character. Whoa, that's been a while. Speaking about dusting off old hobbies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was when I lived in Texas. Jeez, now it's been five, over five years ago. I was playing once or twice a week. Right. And now it's like I play a handful of times a year, maybe, and that's usually as a DM. Right. So I, I, I got to make up a character this week, um, which I was about to do after the whole Battle Chef Brigade uh, mm-hmm. finale. Uh, mm-hmm. And we decided to record. So I gotcha. I have – I'm looking at my books here to uh, make a character. And I think I'm going to make a bard, which is you know going to give me an excuse to sing badly at the table. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> No, is this with new people? Who 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 are you playing with this time around? Uh no, it's some of some of the folks who we know. Uh, friend Jana is going to be running the game, so mm-hmm. played some other games with her running the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Numenera, which is kind of a futuristic sci-fi game, and we also played a Game of Thrones. Game campaign mm-hmm. very brief it was like two two or three sessions mm-hmm. uh, which was very story driven and it was fun we had a good time mm-hmm. it's for, for folks who are role-playing game fans it was i think the dungeon world 
rule set. Mm-hmm. Um, so very different from like ro- rolling a twenty sided die. At this more kind of story elements. So yeah, I'm like, that'll be fun. Um, speaking of like magic, and I know we always debate is magic or D and D more nerdy. So mm. I think it's. <laughs> right. I don't know if we're ever going to settle that argument for be- <laughs> for better or for worse. Online poll. If you, that's always the, the scientific way to settle. These yeah, things. if you could somehow do both at the same time, that would right. that would be awesome. Uh, oh, I think you're onto something. Like a game where instead of like you play it like a role playing game, but then when you have your encounter, it, you play like a game of magic. Well, that, instead of like doing the regular combat. Well, not to bring it back to that video game I just beat, but you have a story mode and like any time in another game where you'd have some kind of battle with swords or magic or something, you have a cooking challenge. <laughs> right. And it it works. It's it was fun. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't see I, why you, why you couldn't do that with a role playing game with some kind of card mechanic. Yeah, we've just handed somebody an awesome idea if, if they're listening and just take this and we don't get any credit or any money. Because I, th- I mean, f- I, for me, like I haven't played a ton of um, D&D or anything like it since I was a kid. But one of the things that I always found to be kind of, uh, you know, you'll have to forgive me, but a little boring was the actual combat. Because there's a lot of rolling of dice and taking turns and like a single combat often will take you know, 40, 45 minutes and it just, you know, it's not really moving the story forward very much. Um, And so it just seemed like a bog down. And so if you like traded that for something that was like more like an interesting game to play at that point, like, I, I don't know that there, that has some appeal at least to me. Yeah. And, and leveling up would be getting new cards or something like that where you could, upgrade your deck and i think there's some video games that kind of work on that premise i think there's i think it came out a few years ago i read reviews of it i think it's called hand of fate or something Mm -hmm. like that where you have to kind of build a deck of stuff and then you go into a dungeon and depending on how you play cards whether or not you get through the dungeon instead of Mm -hmm. you know clicking on buttons or doing like a turn-based strategy game right i didn't play it but the idea is there, and someone – it probably already exists, and we just don't know about it. But Well, probably, but that means that somebody hasn't really taken it to the level where, you know, it got really popular. So, <laughs> Well, these days, it, it's like, well, can you stream it? Is it entertaining during the stream? If so, then, <laughs> then it's got life. Right. I was just chatting on the other show that I run with um, a friend of mine, This this guy who streams – and puts up YouTube videos for D and D is uh, kickstarting a book and is also going to build a better studio in his house to record better videos. And mm-hmm. within days he had made a million dollars. It's just kind of unbelievable. Yeah, that is, that's impressive. <laughs> so I don't know if you have an idea, I try to make it happen, put out stuff and, if you might be able to build an audience. I don't know. Right. We do not have millions of dollars coming in for this podcast. Yet. 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 <laughs> it's just a matter of time, I think. I don't know how much time that's going to be. <laughs> um, 
but you know, Hugo has a college fund that needs you know seed money, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I could buy a better microphone. That would be better. I was watching the uh, for some reason, even though Will is not like a car person, he likes to watch the Grand Tour, the you know the Amazon show that's the uh, Top Gear guys, right? And they they were reviewing, or one of them was reviewing the Tesla SUV, which was pretty sweet. But then at the end of it, they mentioned the price point, which was like 150,000 pounds, which means in U.S. dollars is getting, you know, what is that, like $175,000? Um, so, yeah, if people want to, you know, start kickstarting us and I get to get a sweet Tesla, that, that'd be awesome. That sounds kind of fraudulent. <laughs> I mean, I don't know exactly how all these internet rules work, but that sounds borderline inappropriate. <laughs> I'm just, you know, saying like if that leads to, a, you know, our multi-million dollar streaming business, like, you know, I'm fine with that. Everyone's got to start somewhere. And hey, you know, milestone alert. We're about a half hour into the show and have not mentioned this is episode number 10. Woo. Double, right? double digits. Ease. Yeah. Uh I'll pop the champagne after we get done. How about that? And in less than a year. (laughs) Right. The first one was June 2nd, 2017. And Mm. that's only about eight months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And and in fairness, we would have gotten to 10 much sooner. Like we we had very legit reasons that we had to kind of pause things for a while. But uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, if people start to tune in and listen and enjoy these, I will keep happily doing them. I mean, I enjoy doing them anyway. I view them almost somewhat as like an artifact of our friendship. And if we have this conversation and other people enjoy it, then then great. An artifact of our friendship. That, that sounds like a title. <laughs> I try to give this to you each week. Yeah. So speaking of uh, – well, I don't even – I won't even make a clumsy seg- segue – one of the things you had suggested as a topic, and it's certainly something that's that's pretty timely, is um, you're growing up in the South around a culture of firearms and guns. And yep. we, th- we actually started recording last night on Friday, mm-hmm. um, but I was tired and like we were having some connection issues, so it was maybe a good thing because mm-hmm. I was not in a great frame of mind to talk about that topic. Uh, mm-hmm. A little bit more controlled here this evening, so <laughs> well, well. Let's see if I can get you going. We'll see if, if <laughs> how that goes, but I don't know, man. What do you make of everything given your background? Well, I mean, yeah, like everybody else, I've been talking about it with various people the last few days, and you know, I think my perspective is. Slightly different than some in that I did grow up in the South. I did receive guns for multiple birthday gifts. I don't even know if they were firmly birthday gifts, but they were given to me around birthdays by my grandfather. So I'm technically a gun owner. None of them are here right right now, um, but I do own them somewhere. And I had an uncle who was a huge gun enthusiast i had a lot of fun going to his house and shooting different guns including ones that would fall under the assault rifle um whatever category and um 
Yeah. So, you know, I have that. And I also know a decent number of people that I think would also fall into the category of gun enthusiasts. And so I've, you know, over the years have talked some with them, um, you know, especially with the advent of social media and these things come up like, you know, there's been some, I think, mostly healthy discussion back and forth. Um, But I think kind of like everyone else, like I have reached the point well, not everyone else, but like so many people, I've reached the point where like our collective lack of action and sort of this cycle that we go through on social media each time these things happen has um, just gotten beyond ridiculous. Like we've all become complicit <laughs> in some way and, and these problems not getting solved. And so, you know, I've just been talking with people again the last few days and I, yeah, I, I don't know for myself that I really want to see a ban of guns or at least have that be the starting point on things. And for two reasons, one, I'm, I'm just not sure that it's going to achieve what people want. And two, it's sort of the starting point that gets people on the other side of this discussion immediately defensive and not want and creates the atmosphere where just nothing continues to happen. I also think it's it gets pretty murky in a hurry when you start talking about banning assault rifles, like what is and isn't an assault rifle and blah, blah, blah. And I say all this as somebody that I could really care less for me personally, like this does not impact my life one way or the other. But I do I worry about sort of creating, you know, a huge black market for these things because you, you can't just change this culture overnight. And we do have a really avid gun culture in this country. And then I also worry a lot about how any sort of gun laws like that will be enforced, as in I foresee them being disproportionately and unfairly enforced on groups of people such as minorities. (laughs) So that's not personally where I want to start on things. But I do think we've reached the point that like we have to start attacking this problem from multiple angles. And there's a whole bunch of things that are pretty widely um, agreeable to people other than the National Rifle Association. And it's just it's it's time to start doing this because, yes, it is. It's a really complicated problem. And I I just I hear a lot of the arguing of, well, if you do this, like it's not going to make that big of a difference. And it's like, well, sure, because it's a complicated problem. You have to do a bunch of different things that you know, make small differences and then those start to add up into, into real differences. So I don't know. That's my monologue. What are your thoughts? That was a monologue. I should have been keeping track of all the different threads that you threw out there. Cause yeah. (laughs) So this is a topic that I've not, I wouldn't say wrestled with, but it's been something that's been a part of my life for a very long time. My father was shot and killed in 85 so i mm-hmm. was eight going on nine and right. he was a police officer and like he had guns in the home mm-hmm. i you know i was young but i remember him from time to time he would be like cleaning his sidearm and he was pretty meticulous about that he was also he was a marine he was in the national guard um he didn't have like those big guns at the house but he was that type of person and, mm-hmm. um and I'm sure there were guns in the house and we didn't know where to find them. I'm sure they were locked up. Like it was never one of those things where I was a little kid and like, Oh, it's my dad's gun. Let me like, right. He had always, we were 
it was very clear we had to stay away from him when he was cleaning the gun. It was you know, mm-hmm. so I've never just because he was you know he was executing a drug raid. He worked undercover and he was killed during that drug raid. Mm-hmm. So I've always been of the mindset of guns suck for right. for lack of a better word and just felt like there needed to be more gun control and always looked at it kind of logically that you know a gun has mainly one purpose and that purpose is to cause a significant amount of damage to whatever it is you're shooting at and certainly mm-hmm. if you're a hunter there's some weapons that like yeah that's fine you can have those but as technology continues to advance and now there's guns that can just fire a whole bunch of ammunition in a very short period of time without mm-hmm. really needing that much skill to pull that off. Right. And I don't think the Second Amendment applies in that regard. Like, mm-hmm. I just think our whole relationship with the Second Amendment is problematic. I think it's interpreted poorly. Mm-hmm. And. I'm probably way out on the left on this idea, but, you know, I think whatever (laughs) – I kind of think of assault weapons as pornography. Like it's hard to define, but I know it when I see it. (laughs) Right. I don't know. Not every weapon that exists should be available to civilians. Like I shouldn't be allowed to go and buy a grenade, and I'm not allowed to. I shouldn't be able Mm -hmm. to buy a nuclear weapon like we – go across the world to ensure other people don't get nuclear weapons. So I kind of think of it from a maybe too simplistically of a logic problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the thing I come back to after every one of these shootings is the only thing stopping me from doing something similar is my desire not to. And that's a problem. That's we as humans have kind of shown over and over again that we are not capable of handling this responsibility well, and there just needs to be more regulations in place. And I think there's a lot of ideas on how to do that, how to scale things back. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's really no reason for a civilian to have some type of magazine that can spray 10, 12, 15, 30 bullets without reloading. There's just no purpose for it. There's just not. Right. And so I I agree with you. I just – I think my – approach to this problem as someone that's you know knows people that are on the other side of of this issue is just more kind of like where where do we have like common ground like between all sensible people that like you know can make large inroads on this problem and i i think there are a bunch of things and i think it's pretty embarrassing is not even the right word at this point it's i don't know what the severe word to use but that you know we that our politicians have not managed to do these things like you know after the las vegas shooting there was you know pretty wide support for the whole bump stock thing because that essentially turns a weapon into an automatic weapon which you know has been a line that we've agreed like civilians don't need automatic weapons and you know that was supposed to happen and have pretty you know large bilateral support and then it just went away and never occurred because we moved on to the next news cycle thing and you know there's a lot of politicians that don't want to lose that you know voting and financial support of the nra and um those kinds of people so 
I don't know. I just I think when you start talking taking guns away, like that becomes sort of a non-starter to the discussion um, because we do have so such a long history of being a gun culture for you know better or worse um and so i i just i think there's so many like you know you keep hearing people saying well this is a mental health problem and while i don't really disagree with that um i do think it's you know trying to deflect from the other parts of the problem but we're also not doing anything to bolster you know mental health care in this country so you know that's an area that can have you know can be fruitful you know just toughening up the responsibilities of gun owners when your gun gets used in a crime that you know if you can't prove that somebody broke into your gun safe and took it if you didn't report it to the police and your gun gets used in a crime like you are held responsible for that in some re- you know just there's so many things that even sensible gun owners i think are pretty supportive of that could be done that just aren't and it's you know it's it's reprehensible at this point yeah, it's reprehensible, and I, I think for me, selfishly, it feels different now. The fact that I have a son, and granted, he's 13 months old, so he's not going to be in age range for a school shooting, but I, I wrote this on Twitter, and I cannot fathom getting to know my son for another 10 to 15 years, and then one day he's suddenly dead because somebody walked into a school and was or a movie theater or something and just started shooting it up. Like I, I cannot fathom that. And I, right. And I feel just a, a rage that I'm not doing anything about it, that I'm not doing more to try to stop that potential from happening. Mm -hmm. And I, feel somewhat hopeful that for whatever reason that this incident might be a little bit of a tipping point because I think if young people mobilize on this issue that it could be something that starts to make it change and I'm maybe naively optimistic that something can start to happen because nothing's happened in decades except gun laws have gotten more lax. Right. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to rain on your parade, but I think there's the, the two thoughts that come to mind right away with that is that a, because of people that are in office right now, I'm not extraordinarily optimistic, but um, I think that is kind of, one way that change does happen is to stop electing people that don't do anything about this. And I don't really mean that, you know, like, oh, you should not elect Republicans and elect Democrats. I'm just saying, like, you know, this should start to be one of the issues that people hold um, all politicians accountable for, because there is sensible stuff that is, you know, agreeable to a wide variety of Americans, regardless of, you know, whether they're on red team or blue team. Yeah, I mean, just people have to vote if you care about this or something else that. You just have to vote, and I think too many people don't take voting seriously. Don't think it matters. Thinks it's like, well, they they all suck, and I'm not I'm not going to do it. So, I mean, I I can go on political tangents. I don't 
think that's exactly what we're aiming for here. No, but um, I mean, in a, in a, in a, I mean, this is one of those issues that it really should not be political. Like, you know, when people keep killing large groups of people because action is not being taken, like that's, that's not like a left wing or right wing Democrat or Republican issue. That's like a problem that, everybody should be viewing as a problem and doing something about. But it's also, you know, which party and it's unfortunate that our country only has two viable parties. Like we could get into that discussion. It's, it's limited options. And often in whatever election you have, it's not like a great out of two people. No one's going to perfectly align with your values and you sort of have to make the best decision. But now it's become so tribal that, it almost doesn't matter who's on team red or team blue. Like people are just going to vote that way because that's their team. And one of those teams is in favor of having more guns. And for the most part, the other team is not. And people have to vote accordingly if they want this to be different. Right. But I also think people need to start saying this is, uh, you know, I think, (laughs) you know, I, I don't want this, to turn too political, but I think there are a lot of people that are team red voters in the past that are losing patience with their elected representatives on a number of issues. And this being one of them, because uh, as I was saying before, like this shouldn't really be a political thing like the, but it's been used for decades now as a quote unquote wedge issue. Right. And it's been capitalized on, to scare people and make them not want to be on the other team. (laughs) I agree. And that's why I, you know, my feeling on it is that people need to start really identifying these various ways that you can make a difference on this issue um, that don't necessarily involve with the government's coming to take your guns, because that is, again, like that is kind of the wedge issue right is you know that's kind of the sentiment that people are able to capitalize on and there are all kinds of other things that you know experts on this these issues think would also bear fruit and there shouldn't really be resistance to these ideas <laughs> like when 80 something percent of gun owners support them like the fact that they don't happen is just kind of it's, I, it's I, outrageous. I understand why it happens, but it, yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous, and you know, I I think that that's an important thing where people that do tend to be more conservative um, need to start holding those people accountable. That like I'm going to elect a different candidate who's going to be sensible about these things instead of taking donations from a political action group and voting against common sense. Yeah, and just you know, I'm I. I am naive about a lot of things about guns. I've never owned one. We, we thought about it when we lived in Texas because we were in not the greatest neighborhood in Houston. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of break-ins around our house and we had this this is kind of a lighthearted story if, if you know, the, the hundreds of people are still listening. Uh, right. Our, uh, we, had a, we had a house alarm in Houston and it went off one night and this was like around that time where there were like break-ins in the house. So you wake up in a panic and you're like, what do we do? We don't have, we don't have a weapon. We don't have anything. So we like hid in our bathroom 
And then, like, we didn't hear anything. It was, like, a few moments had, I don't know, you lose track of time. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I had in the closet was a fake Renaissance Fair sword. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my wife is hiding behind me. I'm holding this ridiculous sword. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I, I can't do this. But it was getting to the point where it was maybe just a false alarm or mm. something. So we creep out of our bedroom. You know, it's dark. We don't hear anything. We don't see anything. And then we walk out into our living room and, like, look down the hallway towards the front door and see that the garage, the inner garage door is cracked open. We both kind of freak out and scream. Like, we run back into the bedroom. And then, you know, another couple minutes go past. We don't hear anything. We don't see anything. You know, we had already called the police. And, you know, the we heard the police outside knocking on the door. And so we, as I'm walking out, I see that the inside, like, inside the garage part, the garage door is not open. So it must have just been, like, the inner garage door open for whatever reason opened. Mm-hmm. And set off the alarm, and no one had tried to break in, but it just was obviously a false alarm. So the you know the cop comes, greets us. He like goes through the house, checks all the rooms. He's like, "Yeah, you're all clear here." And then we're, you know, calming down. You know, this I don't know, like two, three in the morning, and we're just laughing at the fact that I was <laughs> out there with a fake sword. Like, what are you gonna do with that? It's like, I don't, it's not even sharp. It's like it's like a dumb costume sword thing. <laughs> uh, that's you, you you have to leap at the intruder while yelling there can be only one yeah if you exactly. find yourself in like that I'm situation going out there like william wallace uh mm-hmm. braveheart sword but we thought about <laughs> having a gun and like we talked about it and it would just make me more nervous having a gun in the home just knowing that it's there and now with a kid like i wouldn't want one and i realized like other gun, gun owners would find that comment ridiculous but I just look at things like statistics and research. Like if you have a gun in your mm-hmm. home, you're more likely to die in a gun accident. Like, you know, it's right. I I don't know. So I just don't see the need for nearly as many, and certainly the ones that are capable of incredible amounts of violence in a quick manner. It just nobody needs them. And if they feel like they need them for a sport or a target shooting, like create a whole new industry of places where people can go and check out their gun and you know shoot and then they have to leave it there and Mm -hmm. i think we have to think beyond the current paradigm of like you said of well what's common ground like the common ground hasn't really gotten us anywhere something needs to change i hope for people to be more safe well i mean just nothing has been done like right you know there's there are things that are common ground that you know, would all make differences, especially if three, four, five of them were done in short order. Um, and instead, just none of them have happened. And that's the part that is extremely frustrating. Like, you know, I just, I, I don't, I do understand it, but it's just beyond ridiculous. Well, there's the Onion article that's always posted, you know, and then the the Simpsons meme of it's not working. We've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, um, I think the the onion one they publish every time is, you know, <clears throat> a nation laments nothing can be done in only nation that this problem exists. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And it's, 
it's just awful. Like there's people who are dead because of this and I don't know, man, it's just scary. Like I just, it's really senseless and it's not something where I like come out of my liberal Twitter high horse and it's like, we need to ban guns. Like this is a new thing for me. Like I've had this thought for 30 plus years since my dad was killed. So I remember back in eighties, nineties when there was like the Brady bill and all that stuff and like he was vilified for trying to take everyone's guns away and they had the assault weapons ban and then that lapsed i think in 2004 and i don't know do you do you buy the the violent video game culture plays into this at all not significantly but um i do think that it is one of the many ways in media that we do sort of glorify the idea i mean we're probably gonna do be kind rewind um and the movie i'm gonna bring up (laughs) involves a lot of firearms uh and so these are all sort of pieces of you know what is a large cultural thing but you know it has to be pointed out that like these games are generally available in other countries that don't have this problem um and you know there's reasons for that. Um, and so, no, I don't, I don't view it as a significant part of, of the problem. Like, uh, you know, I don't know, as I get older, I wrestle more with some of the, um, other violent things that we take in as entertainment and kind of what that means. But, uh, the short answer is, is no, I, I don't, I don't really buy it. It's probably not something that helps, but, they have these games all over the world and it's not like this stuff is happening all over the world. I know where I used to go to school, they did um, research on some of this stuff and there's some correlational data that maybe support that outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it can desensitize you a little bit to just violence in general, but it's also Mm -hmm. movies, television shows and any number of things. I don't think it's the factor by any, by any means. No, and but that's part of the problem is nothing that we're talking about is the factor. It is the sort of unholy combination of a whole bunch of factors that for some reason we can't get it together to start addressing any of them, (laughs) you know, let alone all of them. So, yeah, that took a turn. Mm hmm. Yep. But I think, you know, in all like not too serious, but on seriousness, this is important to talk about. And I think. Mm -hmm. People shouldn't shy away from it with friends, with family. And if they want something to be different, I think everybody has to get involved and right. do so well, locally. And- like I have, there's a local person running in our congressional district, and it's like I'm going to volunteer or do whatever I can mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. elect the person I want to elect because that's one small thing that can overall help. And my wife right. donated to something, and like that's what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I do think, you know, it it's it sort of feels like maybe we never get to a tipping point, but I, at some point we will. And this is something that I have told, you know, friends of mine that are gun enthusiasts is like, look, you like you need to get on board with, you know, what are solutions to this this problem while you still can, because sooner or later, p- 
people are going to get angry enough and they're just going to do something and it might not even be the best solution of the problem. Um, and it will involve you not, you know, suddenly your guns are illegal and because you didn't take action on this <laughs> when you had the chance, um, you know, you've lost that right. And so if, if, you know, if that right is important to you, and I know it is really important to a lot of people and for a lot of different reasons, and I'm not going to sit here and criticize them because, you know, we've discussed, I technically own guns i've enjoyed shooting them i know people that hunt etc 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 like the i really think that those people especially need to be discussing amongst themselves like you know what what do we want to see and maybe consider not supporting the national rifle association anymore and supporting something else that you know, moves us forward where you get to, you know, keep your guns if you're a, you know, safe gun owner. And um, we also stop having so many of these incidents. Yeah, I'm just maybe this makes young people vote and get more engaged civically, because um, mm-hmm. I think if that happens, that is something that changes this endless debate that we're having and i guess that's where my hope comes from like seeing how some of these survivors students in florida are reacting to this and how much skill they have with social media and mobilizing i i think that could be a very powerful movement and yeah absolutely that's sort of my hope and i want to try to be try to be hopeful yeah, as someone with a school-age child who also plans to be working in school shortly, you know, this is also <laughs> important to me. It's not something that I sit around thinking about or worrying about, but, you know. It, no, I don't think anybody wants to live in fear, and that's, right. that's you know, not – you can't – I mean, you can, but you mm-hmm. you can't avoid – I remember, like, my, my brother would always – he just found a train – he's like, I can't believe you go to the Mall of America. It's such a such a target. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, it's it's the mall close to the house. Like, I don't know. Right. What I mean. Like, I'm not going to live. I'm not. I can't live in fear. Right. So I don't know. I, you know, if I be curious for folks who have listened to this to let us know what they think, not like, like who's right, who's wrong, but just what are your thoughts on how to how little people like us can try to leverage some change Uh, Mm -hmm. so we should we should try to end on a high note okay good should we do some uh should we do some movie recommendations (laughs) i'm sort of regretting mine at this point but sure oh no (laughs) is it like a shoot 'em up or something because pretty much that would be pretty ironic if you're like pretty much exactly what it is (laughs) well at this for you know you just got to launch into it so be kind rewind if you've missed our previous episodes we've had um some movie recommendations here and there so your movies have been you want me to say them or do you want to go through oh i thought you were going to say them but but sure so you had selected i think super cop brewster's Mm -hmm. millions and the beastmaster Yes, all fine films. All fine films. And I think the movies I had recommended previous episodes were the 90s comedy Men at Work, a very obscure 90s movie with Corey Haim, Prayer of the Roller Boys, and the Michael J. Fox classic, Secret of My Success. So 
uh, check those films out. And you got a new one to add to the list. Uh, oh, yeah, great. You're going to make me go first immediately after the the <clears throat> gun control debate. Good. Uh, because <clears throat> my film is a classic, but not so much in this country. Uh, and it is a film called A Better Tomorrow. Okay. It, uh, it came out in 1986. It was directed by John Woo. Oh, so there's, uh, there's no firearms in those. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Sweetheart was the producer, oh, and uh, the uh, Cheyenne Fat is not actually the star of the movie, but it is definitely his breakout movie. He sort of steals the show um, in this film. Uh, and yeah, it's also the beginning of what was known as the heroic bloodshed genre that, you know, John, we was sort of the champion of. Um, and it was also just sort of a, I don't know. It's a sea change in, in terms of um, how these kinds of movies looked and whatnot that I, I think we've kind of discussed this before, maybe where we were talking a little bit about some of these movies that they've, they've lost their um, – I don't even know quite the, what words to use, but when you go back and watch them through the lens of like all of the American movies that copied them, like they don't seem like such a big deal, but at the time, like it was a huge deal. Um, and people were copying sort of the look of Chai Yun Fat's character. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, it, you know, it was just a huge deal, especially in Asia. And then eventually, made its way here in terms of how action directors did movies but yeah a lot of gunplay the the beginning of the whole you know two-handed gun style and all of that um set around a really sort of melodramatic overwrought um script about people involved in um organized crime and getting betrayed and Yada yada yada. Would you say that that kind of copying of that technique and that style, would you say it peaked with Face Off like ten years later? <laughs> well, <laughs> or or what is another like U.S. movie that really kind of took that to not a new level, but just kind of took it to its? I don't. I mean, Face Off was John Woo doing an American movie. So, um, but even before John, they've got John Woo to start doing American movies. I just, I know there were a lot of action movies at that time of like the early to mid '90s that started to use a lot of the sort of same thematic elements and um, you know cinematography and all of these things that you know when you were kind of ahead of the curve and like saw them in their original thing. It was like, Whoa, that's really different and really interesting and fun. And then like, I remember, you know, having friends watch some of these movies years later and they're kind of like, I, I don't get it. Like, what's the big deal? And it's like, well, because you've seen it and you know, these Jean-Claude Van Damme movies where they just used it <laughs> with him. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to point at as sort of the pinnacle of American movies, but I mean, certainly face off would be one cause it was a John Woo movie and uses all of his familiar things. I think, Video games are like that, too. Like, if you wait too long to play a game that was groundbreaking, then you've 
you've played it in other games and you go back to the original that started the whole idea and it's like, oh, this isn't that great. Mm-hmm. I did that with – like I never played Bioshock until years, years later. And I remember going back and playing it and it just – it felt terrible. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. I don't really like the <laughs> controls. It's all dark and gritty. Like I just couldn't get into it. And then I right. tried – I did the same thing with Assassin's Creed where I never played one of those games, and I decided, like, well, let me go back and play the original. And it was fun, but it was super repetitive, and I don't know. I just – it didn't strike me as all that great, but it was probably 10 years after it originally came out. So I think things like that you kind of need to appreciate for for the period it, it first arrived. Yeah, and there there is – I mean, the scene that sticks out for me is, you know, a – hobbled chow yun fat kind of showing up and and <laughs> taking revenge on people and and i don't want to spoil the scene in case people watch it but when you get to that scene you'll you'll know what i'm talking about if you if you watch it um and that's because like honestly if you're if you tune into this movie thinking it's going to be like some huge action movie even like the later John Woo movies, like the killer are hard boiled where there's just like insane amounts of action and just a giant body count of people dying and whatnot. Like this movie is not really like that. Um, but there is one scene that sort of kicks off <laughs> that whole idea and you'll, you'll know it when you see it. Um, but you know, I'm not alone on this. Um, when I was looking it up, like, uh, there's a couple different lists out there of like the all time best Hong Kong movies, all time best Chinese. Chinese movies and it was, you know, top ten in in both of those. And the impact over there was huge. Like it apparently was released with like very little um, advertising and it just exploded. Where you know was like the the biggest grossing movie um, of all time for quite a while. And um, yeah, was a really big deal um, in those those markets. Awesome. Well, should I go into my my film, which yeah. is nearly as action-packed. And doesn't have a bunch of gunplay right after we talk about gun control. <laughs> no, it's a little bit more whimsical than that. So <laughs> my movie is it, – it almost kind of s- sort of feels like a John Hughes movie, but it's not at all. But 3 O'Clock High, have you ever seen this? I, you know, I'm not – I don't think that I have, actually. So 3 O'Clock High stars one – Casey Samasco, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He was in uh, Young Guns. So this is like an 87 movie. It's a it's a high school comedy. And he's this nerdy guy. He's, I think, like the newspaper editor at the school. And he just gets caught up in one day at this high school in just a series of unfortunate events that there's this new kid at school. And he's this badass character that everyone's afraid of. He looks he looks like this rocker guy. He doesn't talk. He just, like, beats the crap out of people. And he has this reputation of all this, like, negative stuff. And the character's name, the main character, Jerry, who's played by Casey Smosco, he's, he gets tied up with this villain who's named Buddy Ravel. And he has to – it ends up where he has to fight him after school at 3 o'clock. So the whole day is like slowly counting down to three o'clock and Jerry keeps trying to get out of the fight because he's going to get just pummeled because this guy Mm -hmm. is much bigger than him. And and it's it's just really it's a funny movie. I always found it as like a sweet 
like funny movie. It just had a good heart to it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, I don't know. It always brought a smile to my face. I was always rooting for Jerry in that flick and it has a, not a happy ending, but it, it does have a happy ending. Not to, I mean, it's a high school comedy in the eighties. So you can kind of imagine how this goes, but there's a lot of good beats along the way. Like he has some, Friends who are entertaining and some of the hijinks that happen are, are pretty interesting. I think like even the teachers and stuff are like betting on who's going to win the fight. So it's, it's a fun movie. It's actually got a longer running time than I thought. It's like in a hundred minutes. So like, eh, it's not too bad. It's about an hour and 40, but it's a cool movie. And if you can find it, I don't know if it's on Netflix these days or something. It's, uh, if you ever like the breakfast club or, uh, some kind of wonderful, it's not, up to the quality of those films, but it's sort of in that same genre of nerdy high school kid gets caught up in some hijinks and has to figure it out. And he, his character grows because of it. So, right. And it looks like the bad guy. in this is also the bad guy from kindergarten cop. So there's that, the buddy Ravel character. (laughs) I don't know. Sure. Yes, actually. Yeah, I, I was wondering what happened to him. I think I looked this up a few months ago. I was like, oh, I wonder what that guy's doing if he's been in other stuff. And I've never seen Kindergarten Cop. What? I know. I've never seen it. <laughs> There's a bunch of movies that I haven't seen. That would maybe be another segment of like what uh-huh. what popular movie haven't you seen? Or like like what else haven't I seen? I was telling somebody like I never saw The Wedding Singer mm-hmm. or something about Mary. just never saw it. Okay. Not to be contrarian, I just have never seen it. Yeah, I mean that's not as egregious as like I've never watched The Godfather, so which I hadn't seen until my wife shamed me into watching it, which is very <laughs> much a gender swap role reversal. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, as I look at it, like it does look familiar. Um, so I'm I'm sure I, you know, saw parts of it on. Saturday afternoon or something, but I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever sat and watched it from the beginning to the end. Yeah, it's a fun one. The uh, speaking of the Godfather, my wife, she, she, I don't think she'll mind me telling this because she tells people. But the night we met, which you were there for, I had like introduced myself, and then like a little while later, she had forgotten my name. So I had to tell her my name again, and she's like, "Oh, Michael, that's such a powerful name." <laughs> <laughs> and reference the godfather i was like yeah i never seen it and she was very upset about that so that was like that was a talking point you're lucky that wasn't it just a deal breaker at that point i it could have been it could have been so i i'm i'm looking at the imdb on this movie and i'm noticing that uh the box office gross was three million and change and the budget that it cost to make it they estimate was six million so Apparently didn't do great in the theaters anyway. Well, this podcast could maybe get some residuals to (laughs) Jerry and Buddy as people are, you know, downloading it or buying it in mass. That's going to give me my Tesla. That could. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, it's been a show. We have covered video games where you cook to win battles, Magic Mm -hmm. the Gathering, uh, Mm -hmm. Unbanning. Uh, some D&D character creation, talking about mixing magic and D&D. Uh, I talked a lot about guns and kind of the whole culture of guns and then went into some movies. So, you know, it's a well-rounded meal for for folks who have stuck with us this long. 
<laughs> yes. The, thank you, all two of you. All two of you. <laughs> and uh, so for all two of you who have listened to this, if you want to reach us, uh, as we said in previous shows, Twitter is the best way. Uh, I'm at the id DM and Chris, where can they find you? I am at geek Zynga. So I think our next episode, I think we're going to, we're going to keep it a little lighter. And one of the topics we talked about maybe getting into today was the whole growlers and games. So do you want to give a, you want to give a preview for that? We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that next time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're just going to talk about the, the phenomenon now of, uh, going out in public and playing nerdy games while having beers. Yeah, which we did a um, – was that a week ago? I'm losing track of time. Yes. Yes, because uh, with the advent of just microbrews being everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, you just walk in and they either have a collection of games or you can bring in your own games and no one bothers you. You just kind of hang out and play. So mm-hmm. um, we can we can get into it. Uh, yeah, we'll topic. we'll talk that. We'll we'll bring back what's on Chris's turntable by popular demand, and by that I mean one person said they liked it, and we should do it more. So well, I mean, pick something that is a little <laughs> exciting. <laughs> I I don't pick them for you, Mike. Just you know, it's for the people. I I guess, <laughs> but I, I'm, no, literally, it's supposed to be what's on my turntable right now. So what it is is what's on my turntable right now. So I, I'm not picking them for for any reason other than that well i mean that you're gonna pick something the next unless we just record at a random time which i guess that's what we'll have to shoot for so you're not you're not gaming the system well so the way this works is i tend to play a record and then it stays there because you know it's out in the living room you're lazy (laughs) (laughs) right so you know i may have this record may have been played yesterday and i just haven't had a chance to play another record so it's it's i'm definitely not gaming the system what's what's there is what's there awesome so look forward to that we'll have a shorter show next time i believe so all right if you're stuck in traffic then you've had us to uh entertain you but otherwise uh, you've probably listened to this over the span of four days (laughs) (laughs) yeah well have a good night i'm gonna sign off all right Uh, thanks folks for listening we'll talk to you again soon Oh, my God.